Hi, everybody, and Happy New Year. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Subtle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan Subtle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted on each Tuesday during the season. Huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle. So let's meet the guys. A WeRSC.com columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways, in addition to his regular season football basketball reports. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC. That's Mark Culkin, the editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, producer, and moderator of WeRSC's Friday's Four Down show, and during the season, Five Things video show, which is posted on YouTube and WeRSC.com. Uh, he's a graduate of USC. That's Derek McKinney, a former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist, who writes the popular WeRSC.com column, Musings with Arledge, and the well-received Musings with Arledge solo video edition. He's a graduate of the USC Law School. That's Chris Arledge. And a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious and not so obvious, from the press box, IMHO Sunday, during the season, the WeRSC.com travel guide, and an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Huddle, that's me, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated, and it is free. We can also you can also listen to Inside the Trojan Subtle on most available podcast sites. And friends, speaking of WeRSC.com, we're offering first-time subscribers one month for unlimited access for just one dollar. If you're not already a full-time premium subscriber, you won't want to miss the USC football website that really does tell it like it is. All right, it's time to kick it off, panel. We're going to do a review of what uh, took place last week. Exciting. I don't know if it was more exciting than uh, Monday night's playoff games, but certainly was invigorating, no doubt about it. Last Wednesday, the Trojans brought back hope and some vision in concluding the 2023 season of a record of 8-5 and five by upsetting college football playoff number 15, Louisville, 42-28 to in the direct holiday bowl in San Diego. The new hope and new vision came courtesy of the spectacular play by redshirt sophomore quarterback Miller Moss, who made his Trojans debut by simply being named the offensive player of the game after throwing a record six touchdown passes and tossing for 372 yards and a remarkable performance. Defensively, Trojans were led by defensive MVP of the game, safety Jalen Smith. Trojans played well above expectations, which, to be frank, were pretty low on the defense given the past season. So let's get right into this panel. Your thoughts and perspective regarding the Trojans' big win over Louisville in the DirecTV Holiday Bowl. As always, we start off with our leadoff hitter, Mark Culkin. Take it away, buddy. Yeah, what a what a great bowl game win for USC. It's a shame uh, that we had to wait, you know, till game thirteen to to watch this team perform the way we all kind of hoped that they would perform throughout the season. Um, Look, we all knew going into the season that USC's defense was going to be problematic. 
Uh, we just wanted them to be, I, I think the term was serviceable, right? Um, we wanted them to play a little bit better than they played in 2022. 2022, that defense provided a bunch of turnovers. It kind of balanced out the, the holes in their defense, which was tackling, filling gaps, knowing where to play their assignments. Uh, Saturday's Holiday Bowl, they were tackling. They were they weren't moving around. They looked like they knew their assignments, and the defense actually looked serviceable. So I'm just wondering. I don't know if this was a playoff team, but I definitely think that if the team that showed up in the Holiday Bowl showed up throughout the season. Uh, that team probably beats Washington at home in the Coliseum. That team at home probably beats UCLA. So maybe we're having this discussion a day after New Year's Day because USC played in one of the bigger New Year's six bowl games. That was my takeaway. It was that there was a different energy. There was a different vibe. Lincoln O'Reilly talked about it after the game. And you're just wondering what changed in six weeks. Why was there just such a, why was there such a discernible difference from the end of the season where it just looked like the team had, they just wanted to get the season over with to all of a sudden like, wow, this is what we're capable of. This is what we can do. It's a great way to finish the season, but it leaves you wondering, you know, what was really going on during the regular season? Eric, are you as optimistic as Mark was uh, after that game? I know it was exciting for all of us to watch the Trojans win. What was your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I I think it's pretty easy to be excited about that performance, especially just when you contrast it with how bad things were during the season. You you really I, we talked about this right after the game. I was surprised how significant that win felt in terms of carrying momentum into the offseason. It it doesn't it doesn't erase the year. It doesn't it it doesn't erase the year, but it does give you some positive momentum and and you hear from kind of former players about what that means and, and it it does mean quite a bit going into the offseason and how you handle stuff and and the ability to kind of look forward because had they come out and played the way they played all season and Louisville wins, you know, by 28 or 14 or or whatever it is that's a that's a long off season, even though it's just kind of more of the same and we knew the problems that needed to be fixed and this is nothing new, but that would have been that would have been a drag going into it. So I do think there are are some positives that you can take from it. It completely changes the narrative about the quarterback position, I think, going into next year. You see some highlights from some of the young guys, the wide receivers specifically, Elijah Page specifically at left tackle, some really important positions. Again, it's it's one game. It's a few dozen snaps. It's not anything where you can absolutely lock in and say, you know, no, they're they're great in 2024 and there are no problems. Uh, but but there's a there are a lot of positives, I think, to take. Um, to to take from that game. And it was from quite a few guys who are at this point coming back next year. And when you look at that 2024 schedule, it's, it is daunting. But when you start thinking about some of the players that other guys are, are losing and kind of the mentality that I think this team finished with, 
there's something to look forward to in 2024 where, you know, two months ago we were thinking, oh my gosh, they're going <laughs> to going to just drag this corpse of a roster through that 2024 season. I, I think there there's a lot of positives to look forward now after that game. Chris Arley, did you see it the same way as uh, Mark and Eric? What's your take? Well, I had forgotten how invigorating it is to be wrong about something. And I was clearly wrong about this bowl game and happy to be so. I, I thought... I thought this was a USC team that would be uninspired and and would walk out and get their head hit to them. They did. They played. They played. They played hard. They played fast. They were aggressive. And they played well. Um, all that's good. It does change the narrative going forward. Uh, it gives you it gives you hope that USC can can more quickly turn around the problems with the program, right? I mean, you, you watch the way USC played defensively for so much of the last two years, and you think, I don't know how long it's going to take or what kind of roster turnover we have to have to play even halfway decent defense. You watch this game and you think, okay, maybe they're closer to playing halfway decent defense than we thought, and that's nice. It, it clearly changes the narrative around Miller-Moss, which I think we'll talk about later, but uh, and and I think installs him as the undisputed leader of that program during this offseason, um, which is which is good, especially if he's the kind of leader I suspect he will be. So all that's good. Let's not go crazy. It was a it was a win over a pretty good but not great team in a game where there was no pressure, uh played at a neutral site. That is not the same as beating Notre Dame and South Bend or beating Oregon and Autzen. It's not the same as beating LSU in an opener, right? Those are completely different animals. But this is a team that showed heart, and they showed heart defensively. And there have been times where where USC's defense over the last, say, three years, where they've gone entire games without showing any heart. So they lined up. They, they seemed to know what they were doing. They played hard. They tackled. And they beat, they beat a pretty good football team. Louisville's not a playoff-caliber team. They're not. But they were pretty good all year. And they had a couple of guys sitting out, but they had less guys sitting out than USC did. So that's a good win. I don't agree with Mark that USC, if they played like that, would be a playoff team. Because of the reasons I said. Winning at Austin. not be a playoff team, but they might be playing on New Year's Day in one of those bowl games. That's possible. I mean, instead of being seven and five, would they have been at least nine and three? I suspect that's right. I mean, it's probably the second best win of the year after the Arizona win. I don't think anybody saw the Arizona win as a great win at the time, right? But now looking back, that Arizona team's pretty good. So it's probably the second best win of the year, and and it's meaningful going forward. Uh, and and look, after how horrible that season was. Just getting a win where where the guys go out and play and they they look like they belong in USC uniforms and they play hard and they're excited and they're happy about it is pretty great. I mean, I felt I felt really good afterwards, even though I know that there's still a whole lot of work to be done to get USC where where we want them to be. Well, I'll tell you what I um I'll go back to what I said when we were predicting the game itself. I didn't know whether SC was going to win or they weren't. The one thing I was sure of is they were going to play really hard. And the reason I felt they'd play really hard is because they had a lot of young players 
lot of players that were getting their first chance at uh, extended playing time. In a lot of ways, there was a lot of things because of the win were positive questions that have yet to be answered. We know uh, that Miller Moss was unbelievably good. I mean, some of those passes were like the windows were the size of a pinhead. And what we learned was just how good those freshmen, true freshman receivers are. And when we talk about, well, what were the questions? You know, I thought, you know, Mark's enthusiasm, I, I totally understood it. Uh, I'm I'm a little on the reserve side because for a lot of reasons that Chris mentioned. Uh, I think that, you know, I some of the things I, I looked at that I said, wow, now this is really interesting and in, in really invigorating. The SC secondary played pretty damn well without uh, Caleb Bullock, Callum Bullock. And I, I looked at the tackling in general. The tackling was a lot of it was below the waist at the at the uh, knees or the ankles. And I saw, you know, a situation where guys were going down. They weren't breaking a lot of tackles. They weren't wrapping up and losing guys up high. So to me, that was uh, a great uh, advancement in far as technique was going. I thought that they played hard on defense uh, up front. That was invigorating. Uh, so all in all, I thought it was uh, a really good thing. I don't know what's going to happen with Taylor Mays, whether he's going to be a full-time secondary coach. I think he did have a difference in the game in the secondary because I know what he likes to do. He believes in tackling low. But it, all, all in all, to me, it was uh, the narrative. We use that term all the t- time. I'm looking forward. The hope is there. Uh, but I, I'm not under any false illusions after you watch uh, Michigan play. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Harbaugh, whether he's going to be the coach of the Chargers. But, you know, the level of play was definitely exciting. Uh, and, geez, you know what? They had lost – Trojans had lost so much in the second half that, you know, he was like a starving man. I don't care what you serve me. Just just give me something to eat. And in the Trojans' case, Louisville certainly provided the meal. So, all in all, I thought it was a, it was a good deal. Hey, by the way, Greg, does Taylor Mays believe in tackling low? Because my recollection was that Taylor Mays believed in beheading people. That's what I recall pretty consistently. I I heard, heard, to be honest with you, I heard Taylor Mays say this uh, uh, maybe three weeks ago that, he, you know, they have to tackle lower. And I took that to mean exactly what what they ended up doing, tackling lower. Now, he was... And they cut their feet, too, right? I mean, this is... If you watch a lot of USC's uh, missed tackles during the season, the guys didn't keep their feet. They're diving it. They're they're diving at ankles instead of instead of driving through. They did a lot more of that too. Part of that. I, I, been- I found the secondary play on the corners uh, with uh, Beavers and Profit uh, to be a, a really a big step in the right direction, and I, I did like that. There seemed to be a concerted effort to tackle low and not wrap guys up, up top. Now there was some up top, but, and if they paid the price for it, but it really, to me was uh, invigorating, should we say? Well, part of, part of it too, let's not forget, is there a significant personnel turnover in that secondary? Absolutely. It's not like Damani Jackson all of a sudden started tackling people. <laughs> you had to no, play I mean, the Damani Jackson guard. And, that's, and, and, that's, and, and, and I don't mean just to take a shot at Damani Jackson. He didn't play very well this past year, and I think he's delusional if he thinks he's going to start in Alabama. But 
But what, what, what you did see is you saw guys who were more fundamentally sound in their tackling and, frankly, in a better position to make a tackle because that's the other reason tackling goes south is you're not in a position to, you're not in a position to make the tackle and you're diving for people. Agreed. Maybe, maybe Eric, you can touch on this a little bit more, but that 21, 2021 recruiting class, those are the players who made a significant impact in this Holiday Bowl game. Jalen Smith, Anthony Beavers, you brought up Prophet Brown. Miller Moss was the quarterback. I mean, how important is it now to Lincoln Riley to maybe have a little bit more faith in the California recruiting base? Uh, he know, you know, we've heard him say in the past, he's just not going to recruit California for the sake of recruiting California. But you can see with a little time, a little patience, and guys who know about USC, grew up and wanting to be Trojans, that can have an impact. You know, that kind of is going to take us to the second quarter, Mark. I'm kind of glad you kind of transitioned us over to the second quarter because I think this is a part of the, the answers uh, for the second quarter, and that's assessing the 2003-23 season. Uh, we know the Trojans finished 8-5 and five overall. We know they finished 5-4 and four in the Pac-12. But as you look back on 2023, what did you guys think were the highs? What were the lows? What is your overall assessment of Lincoln Riley's second season? As USC's head coach, let's start off with with Chris Arledge. The high was the first half against a terrible Stanford team. And the lows were almost everything to follow. Overall assessment of Lincoln Riley's second season, Lincoln Riley wasted his second season at USC. That's what happened. I think he knows that now. Um, keeping, Keeping his defensive staff in place, particularly Alex Grinch, was a gigantic career blunder. And if Lincoln Riley didn't have a long-term contract with where he's guaranteed probably another $100 million over the life of the contract, if he didn't have a history of success, not just with quarterbacks, but winning conference titles, making playoffs, right? If he didn't have all that on his resume, that was the sort of blunder that could end a career for a young coach because it was bad. It was especially bad because everybody else in the world could see that it was coming, and he didn't. That's a problem, right? So it's hard to assess Lincoln Riley's second year without saying he he took what was an offense that had offensive line issues but was immensely talented at the skill positions that scored 42 points a game and somehow managed to go 5-4 and four in conference because they chose not to have a coach uh, on the defensive side of the ball, who had a clue what he was doing. That's that's what happened, and um, and it took a it 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 dented his reputation. His two year record at USC is not very good at this point, right? He's what nineteen and eight, I guess, um, which is only slightly better than Brent Venables is at OU. That's right, OU fans. I have not forgotten about you. I made a comment about OU fans being the worst last week. And we get comments from OU fans talking about how inappropriate that is. Listen, I don't have a lot of time to talk about you guys. You guys couldn't even win your bowl game. But I will say this. OU fans are the worst. You try to destroy that dad's business because his kid wanted to transfer. People are trying to break into Lincoln Riley's home because he decided to leave. You guys are the worst. You deserve that beat down from Arizona. And I enjoyed every second of it. Back to what really matters, USC football. Um, Lincoln Riley realizes a mistake he made. His hires on the defensive side have been very, very good. And, and so there's certainly hope for 2024 and 2025. And, and I think the program can get back on track. 
But we're kidding ourselves if we don't consider 2023 to be a gigantic missed opportunity and a huge step back and, and, and a result that was completely different from what everybody on this panel and everybody anywhere associated with college football expected from USC. Mark? Yeah, uh, Chris really touched on all the points, so I'm going to keep my brief here. Uh, the high is obviously the way USC finished the season uh, in, in their bowl win. The low, whether you want to start on, what was it, January 5th or whatever date it was where Lincoln Riley put his faith back into Alex Grinch for another season, or whether it was the way USC performed against UCLA in the Crosstown Showdown, those were the two low moments of the season. It just took a while for those dots to be connected. Um, so uh, everything that Chris said, I agree with. For me, the high, again, watching the way the team responded after maybe playing their worst game of the season, all things considered. And I'm just talking about from an effort standpoint. I'm not talking about you know throwing touchdowns, scoring touchdowns, whatever. I'm talking about from an effort standpoint. It had looked like the team had quit on the season. So to, to get that bounce back, that to me was the high point to see that team respond. And again, I go back to the question I asked Eric at the end that he still hasn't answered, so maybe he will now. How important is it to having California recruits on that roster who care, who understand how important USC is to the fan base? Put Duck in the big questions, McKinney. I'm disgusted right, right now. You know, come on, come on. Do, do I want really good California players on the roster? Yeah, sure. But those guys were <laughs> the best great. California had I offer. don't want a California player who's worse than an Arizona player on the roster. No. All right, Eric, your turn. You're up. So I think I think some of the failure in 2023 was due to some of the success in 2022. If USC loses some of those 20, if, if they go up to Oregon State and they don't get it done late and they lose that game and maybe lose a few others, maybe that kind of clicks in a little bit that, hey, we're not that close. We need to do more this offseason to change. Because they won those games and because, and you heard Lincoln Riley talk about it so many times, they're, they're one play away, right? One hamstring away, whatever it was, you're one half of football away from beating Utah going to the playoff in year one. And you can understand if maybe the takeaway from that for coaches and players is we're there, we're right there. We do the same thing this off season and, and we're there. And you could tell pretty early on. And I think we all kind of talked about it last year too, how much kind of fool's gold there was in that record and those results where you're not playing. I mean, you're, you're playing basically a handpicked schedule against teams that are not great in an order that is perfect for you to kind of run to that record. So the fact that, again, it seemed like USC came back and just said, let's do the same thing. This was the result. The, the result was you stayed put everyone else that you played this year took some pretty significant strides forward in their program, recruiting, NIL, coaching, development, all of that. And USC kind of brought back the same thing. You And, and then the other big miss for me 
is you look at that transfer portal recruiting this last offseason and where Lincoln Riley talked about, and, and I don't think he was wrong when he talked about what they did on the offensive line and that defensive front. They went out and got a bunch of bodies up there, and you look at the results, and Barry Alexander had a great season. They couldn't quite figure out what to do with Anthony Lucas. They couldn't figure out what to do with Jack Sullivan. They couldn't figure out what to do with Keon Bars. You got sort of hot and cold from Mason Cobb. And then on the offensive line, Michael Tarquin couldn't keep that right tackle spot. He goes back in the transfer portal. You had Emmanuel Prignon and and Jarrett Kingston. Are they in the right spots? This isn't really working you saw maybe some some flashes from them late in the year, but what was supposed to be just this absolute avalanche of talent and experience and all of that that dominate both lines, there were a there were a bunch of misses there, and, and I don't know, you know, you you don't know how much to put on were there were there misses on the players they just weren't that good, or did you just not figure out how to use them? to the best of their ability. I, I think we'd all kind of shift to the ladder uh, on that one, but, but that was it. I think for the off season was you had a chance to kind of launch yourself forward by really being honest about what your failures were in 2022 and hitting home runs in the transfer portal. And, and it felt like you didn't do either. So again, it, it was kind of from the start of the season and, and, Again, I don't think they were wrong to have some positivity about what they did in the portal and, and the guys they brought back because they all looked like pretty pretty important additions, uh, but it just turned out turned out not to be. Yeah, I, I have a lot of um, opinions on this. Uh, I think the high to me was that uh, for the most part uh, – Caleb Williams still played really well, but didn't shine because the team did not have success. And we know that that kind of goes hand in hand. I don't know what the relationship between Caleb Williams was uh, with Lincoln Riley uh, throughout the season and to the end of it. Uh, what I do do feel is that I think that Caleb Williams might have gone off point when it came to running the offense. Was it Lincoln Riley's offense he was running? Or was it almost Caleb Williams' offense that was being run? And the reason I do that is I provide the evidence of just how efficient the offense looked, at least passing-wise, when uh, Miller Moss played against Louisville. It seemed like it was that was kind of the offense that we expected. I think what happened with uh, with Caleb is we almost always expected him to just, once he got the play, uh, we didn't know if they're going to really run the play or whether it was going to be playground ball or what have you. Uh, but it looked different. I think a big difference between the, you know, as far as the lows go, I think it's got to be Grinch. I mean, that was just like, you know, I understand why he did his loyalty to Grinch, but it was a suicidal Mission because in the end, Grinch did get fired. SC had a miserable season. It was a failure, in my opinion. Uh, and but I think the biggest takeaway I had for Lincoln Riley was I think Lincoln Riley learned a lot about Lincoln Riley and USC. 
You don't get great at USC unless you have players, as you've all already indicated, love USC. Miller Moss loves USC. The corners that played well in the in the you know in the um, Holiday Bowl, homegrown, they're good players. I don't know why they seem to not be uh, effective during the regular season. It was almost like uh, when some of these guys didn't play or they decided to transfer. It was almost like I've said this before: addition by subtraction. But I think Riley. Uh, really kind of did a disservice to uh, uh, Caleb in a way that there was a lot of pressure to produce uh, with Caleb because of the the window, the two-year window. Um, I think some of the comments that Riley made in his second season when things were going downhill uh, didn't serve him as well as he probably would have wanted. The untrained eye quote, uh, was really like, uh, don't go there. A lot of the people I know really know football, and they are journalists, and they know what they're talking about. I think the idea of the California recruiting, my goodness, I, I'm actually writing about this for Friday. If you want to know where SC's defensive linemen were, just take a look at the middle of the defensive line of Michigan with uh, Mason Graham, uh I mean, the guy's a beast. He went to Servite High. Servite's been a feeder school for USC when Servite guys aren't going to Notre Dame. And to me, you people say, well, there's not a lot of them out here, defensive linemen of the big-time caliber. Well, he was one of them. And, you know, obviously he signed in the transition period between uh, Helton leaving and Riley getting it, so it was kind of a lost cause. But they were there, and it just – it just made me shake my head when I watched how great they played. And by the way, what a stupid call by, uh, by, uh, well, it's, I'm drawing a blank here, uh, Alabama, uh, to run up the middle with Mason Graham in the middle. Wait, you were drawing a blank on the word Alabama that, that played in that game or the well, offensive Nick coordinator? Saban. I think it was Nick Saban he was forgetting about. I mean, that's a Tommy Reese call, also, right? Also and I think it's just the center. I think I think the call was there. I think the snap again messed it all up. It was a switch call. That Alabama center had a had a rough day. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had a toe lobin on type of day. Yeah. Uh oh. I'm just giving somebody that USC fans can relate to. I will say in conclusion of the second quarter here for my opinion. I, I think that Lincoln Riley came to the conclusion that he wants USC players to want to be at USC. I think the transfer portal, I understand why he dove into it. I get it. But you know what? These are one and done like mercenary players. They don't have a passion for SC like like all four of us do. But more importantly, like the players that come that grow up in Southern California, it's okay to get guys from Georgia. Certainly, we encourage that. SC's always done that. They've always been able to get players on occasion from Georgia and Florida. And, you know, it's not like, whoa, we never have done that before. Of course we've done it before. SC's a national brand. Uh, but they've got to reestablish, which I think they could. Look, the truth of the matter is, is some of the great programs, take a look at Michigan. What, Harbaugh's in his ninth season before he's right on the precipice of winning a national championship. I think Dabo Sweeney was the same same way and and getting I mean the only probably the only person that 
just kind of went right in and was going for it with Saban. So it takes patience, but you have to see the building block of it. You have to say, okay, we're not going to get down on Riley in his second year or his third year, but you can't leave yourself wide open like the Grinch situation because then you, you, you kind of step in it and it's kind of a different little deal. So let's move on here to halftime. Uh, guys, you get to hand out the trophies, 2023 offensive, defensive MVPs. So, uh, who are they for you, Eric? Who's the SC offensive MVP? Who's the defensive MVP? You're going to make me give out a defensive MVP? I just asked the question. I don't make the call. Uh, so the, the offensive MVP, I, I think it has to be, to be Caleb Williams because of what he did all season. I think you also got a glimpse that USC probably would have been okay with Miller Moss playing quarterback. And and I'm not going to compare those two. Caleb Williams has physical gifts that no other quarterback in the country has. So the idea that like, oh, USC would have been better off without Caleb Williams for his time here, I, I think is a, a little bit crazy, but so he, he's the guy there. Uh, and then Bear Alexander, right on, on defense. If Bear Alexander is not there this season, and it's interesting because Chris went into this a while ago where Bear Alexander may have caused more explosive plays for the offense because he was so good compared to the guys around him where he would get into the backfield so easily and everyone else would get pushed back so easily that it created some of these massive holes where he's doing his job and and nobody else is kind of filling in but no as, as a as a player like a one guy doing everything it's scary to think what may have happened without him in the middle of that defensive line because the the drop from him to the rest of that front seven uh, was was pretty severe. I'm going to put Christian Roland Wallace in that mix too. It's tough to to give it to him because the secondary was so bad. But but really, it was not it was not coming his way um, in those games. Outside of I think there was one play against Oregon where he's clearly playing at at less than 100 percent, where he got beat uh, for one of those early touchdowns. But it's, I mean, it's tough to go anyone else defensively unless you want to put every bit of weight on that Louisville game and, and say it's Prophet Brown and, and Anthony Beavers just for the way they ended the season. Chris? So the best defensive player by far was Bear Alexander. I think you'd have to give him the, the defensive MVP. If you were trying to figure out most valuable USC probably wins all the games they won, uh, no matter whether Bear Alexander is playing or not, just because they tended to win either against teams that were terrible or by scoring a huge number of points. Um, you can make an argument that the only game that wasn't true is Arizona, where it took that uh, it, it took finally stopping the toss sweep. Uh, but I'm not going to I'm not going to go outside of Bear Alexander. He was the best player. Uh, offensively, the most talented player on the field every single week was Caleb Williams. Next year, when Caleb Williams is starting in the NFL, he'll be the most talented player on the field almost every single week. He's that gifted. 
I'm a little torn on his performance this year. I don't think he played up to his level. And I think part of that was an inability or unwillingness to play within the offense. And we talked about this a number of times, his refusal to get the ball out on time and throw into tight windows. Uh, I think part of that was that Caleb, while people who don't watch him play much probably think of him as a gunslinger, he is not. He'll aggressively throw downfield, um, but but Caleb Williams doesn't want to turn the ball over. And if you watch what happened in the in the Holiday Bowl, you know there there were two passes that Miller Moss threw into the end zone. Uh, one which was perfectly thrown in a very small window, caught for a touchdown. One which was thrown a little bit behind a receiver who didn't uh, who didn't run a very good route. They got picked off. Uh, I'm not convinced that Caleb Williams throws either one of those passes. And and so I I think that Caleb's unwillingness to play within the offense became a problem. That being said. On a, on a weekly basis, he would do two, three, four, five things that nobody else in the world can do, right? Shocking things. Throwing flat-footed 60 yards downfield after dropping a snap and not even stepping into a throw. Sprinting to his left and, and throwing a beautiful pass on a line 30 yards downfield on the sidelines. Almost nobody else in the world can do these things. So he was the best, he was the best player in many respects. But I want to give some credit to a guy, to a different player in the offense. I'm going to award it to Taj Washington. The thing about Taj was that this is a guy who's improved over the last three years as much as any player I can remember at USC. His first year, I remember watching him on the field thinking, I don't know why they got this guy. I don't know why they accepted this guy as a transfer. He doesn't look particularly dangerous. He doesn't look particularly good. He's not very big. I didn't get it. But he improved dramatically over the course of the last three years, and he was uh, he was a legitimate number one receiver by the end of the year uh, in a receiver room where probably he was the sixth or seventh most talented guy. I mean, and and that's not taking anything away from Tosh. He's fast and he's quick, but he's not as fast or as quick as um, uh, as Branch. He's not as big or as strong as 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 Rice. He's Right. So he he really developed and turned into a really good football player. And I was thrilled to see him play the way he did in the Holiday Bowl, because that's a guy who deserved a, uh, a chance to shine and, and be the guy on offense in, uh, you know, a nationally televised game. So I'm going to go with Bear and Taj. Mark? Yeah, those are good answers. Um, look, Taj didn't even have to play in this game, but he wanted to. He had nothing left to prove. And like Chris said, when he arrived, that first he had a rough year. His his hands weren't great. Um, there was maybe he wasn't comfortable yet moving, you know, moving out to California. Whatever the case may be, you know, that that game in the holiday bowl, it sh- kind of shined. It showed what Taj is. He's a complete wide receiver who runs great routes, he has great hands. And if you've got him one-on-one in the open field, he's gonna break your ankle. He did that twice um, on that on his first touchdown pass, uh, first touchdown reception. The throws from Caleb Williams that Chris was alluding to, uh, the one I think he was talking about the one that he completed to Kyron Hudson for the touchdown right over the end, uh, the goal line uh, after the block punt, and then obviously the one where that quick out um, 50-50 ball where you know better pass and a better route. It, at worst, it's an incompletion. At best, it's a touchdown. 
So yeah, Caleb Williams, what he does on the field, amazing. But Taj Washington, uh, he's he was an offensive MVP because of his selflessness, because of wanting to play in that bowl game, not needing to be the number one wide receiver, but performing like the number one wide receiver. He was the one constant week in and week out that you really didn't have to worry about. You knew he was going to come in, do his job. And I think Lincoln Riley even talked about that at the beginning of the year. Taj Washington, he didn't have the C on his on his uniform, but he might as well have been a team captain. And then, look, there's nobody on that defense that really deserves to be the team MVP, but because you have to pick one, um, sure, you're going to go with Bear Alexander because he made a difference. Whether it was being double teamed and the other guys not, you know, covering their end of the bargain, or when he wasn't being double teamed and making a play, you knew Bear Alexander was on the field. Other than that, there's, yeah, you maybe if you you wait till Jalen Smith makes twelve solo tackles in the in the Holiday Bowl, you wait for Anthony Beavers to to look like a Taylor Mays playing under a Pete Carroll coach defense, making that game ceiling uh, play at the end. There wasn't a lot of MVP play on the defensive side of the ball, but there were some MVP plays. But overall, since somebody has to walk up there to accept the award, let's, you know, I think we're all in agreement. Bear Alexander deserves it. Yeah, I go uh, Bear Alexander, uh, although he was inconsistent. But then you look at all the other players and what was happening. He was the best of the of the group there. No, And, and I'm going to pick for an offensive player. I'm a big co-MVPs, obviously Caleb. Uh, but Taj, you just—he's he, got to be right there because the one commonality was that Taj was a big threat for both Caleb and uh, for Miller Moss, and to me, that—that's—that—that's that's saying something. All right, friends, we again strongly encourage those of you watching inside the Trojan Huddle on sites like YouTube to click the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued and appreciated, and it's free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojans Huddle on many available podcast sites. Be sure to check out wrsc.com. Become a premium subscriber. Into the third quarter we go with the kickoff. It's time for the Big Ten Lightning Round. Panel, respond to the following 10 questions with quick responses. We'll go in this order, Mark, Eric, Chris, and myself. All right, here we go. Question one, yes or no? Miller Moss will be the Trojans starting quarterback against LSU in the first game of 2024. Mark? Yes. Eric? Yeah, I think so. Chris? Yes. I agree. Question two, yes or no, the Trojans freshman wide receiver standout, Makai Lemon, will join best friend Malachi Nelson in the transfer portal. Mark, yes or no? No. Eric? No. Chris? I also think no, and I think Makai would be will be very good at USC, but I think he's the number four receiver in his class, and I could see that scaring somebody off. Uh, he won't be transferring, but it's a real moment of truth for the friendship between Makai uh, and Malachi. Uh, question three, yes or no, Lincoln Riley will make more defensive coach changes for 2024. Mark? Yeah, I think there's at least one more. Eric? I don't know. I think that that 
Roy Manning and Sean Nua could be holdovers. There's a there's a Michigan Ravens connection with Nua and and Danton Lynn. Um might might be it. Chris? I think I think no. Although if if you could find an elite uh defensive line coach, maybe you replace Sean Nua, but I think they might be happy with him. Roy Manning is the only coach that's recruited exceptionally well over the last two years. It's hard to see him going, but maybe he does. So I'm going to go no. All right, I'm, I'm going to go no. Anua was uh, praised by Lincoln Riley for recruiting the defensive linemen they had, so that's that's part of his retention there. Uh, and uh, not changes, right? What was the exact question? Lincoln Riley will make more defensive coach changes for 2024. I think there will be changes. Okay, you're you're on record. Uh, and I I I just don't think there's going to be changes unless somebody says I'm going to the NFL. Question four: Yes or no? There will be offensive coach changes for 2024. Mark. Yeah. Eric. Yeah. Chris. I also think yes. Um, I'm going to say hesitantly yes, but I, I'm i not sure where I think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen along the offensive line personally, but we'll see. Question five, yes or no? Travelers should have attended the Holiday Bowl. Mark? Yeah. Eric? <laughs> yeah. He should be at every game. Right, <laughs> Chris? Um, I mean, does he ever attend away games? I don't think he ever does, right? I don't think you make an exception for the Holiday Bowl. That's like when that's like Notre Dame coming out to play in the Alamo Bowl in green jerseys. It doesn't make any sense. You pull those, you pull those out only for special occasions. In state uh, games. Travelers should be at, at all California games. I, I think that this was a situation. The reason I put this question in there is there was apparently a some real controversy about why Traveler didn't go to San Diego. Uh, but I think he should have been there. Question six, yes or no, Cliff Kingsbury will return in 2024 as an offensive analyst or coach for USC. Mark? No. Eric? No. Chris? Nope. I say no. Question seven. Changes. Say that again? That's a change to the staff, yes or no? Right, but not not, not defense. Yeah, uh, maybe question, he'll coach defensive line. Maybe that's true. Uh, yes or no? After Miller Moss's performance in the Holiday Bowl, Lincoln Riley will still take two quarterbacks from the transfer portal. Mark, yes. Eric, I think so. It, maybe it changes if you if you can find a late. 2024 recruit and then also one from the transfer portal. But I, I do think it's changed in terms of, do you need a guy who can play right away or not? I, I think still you're looking at, at probably youthful depth. I got to think that there's a competent enough, maybe fifth year senior who wants to get into coaching and can give you that, that number two guy who wants to spend a year learning quarterback from, from Lincoln Riley. All right. I think that, uh, well, let's hey, go. Chris. Sorry, Chris. Come on now. 
I, I do that to just make assuming sure. I don't know anything about this, and I don't. Well, you're but on deep, he... you're a defensive guy. I mean, we don't, we don't okay, want to go ahead and answer it then. No, answer the question, please. There I think a... no. I think no, because there's no reason to bring in an older guy who's just going to provide depth and be an emergency quarterback. Jensen does that for you already. I don't think you can bring in two younger quarterbacks. I think that scares both of them off. I think he brings in one younger guy, and that's it. I think he'll bring in one. That's my opinion. Uh, question eight. Because of the performance by Miller Moss in the Holiday Bowl, there is renewed hope for the Trojans' fortunes. Therefore, there will be an increase in 2024 season ticket sales. Mark? This has nothing to do with Miller Moss. There was going to be an increase in ticket sales because of USC jumping into the Big Ten Conference, and you have teams like Penn State traveling to L.A. So, yes. Okay. Eric? Exactly that. You've got I, right Nebraska's coming, Wisconsin, Penn State. Those, those fan bases are going to buy USC season tickets and maybe buy them all. Chris? Yeah, that's right. And the other thing is that Miller Moss would not be the reason for the renewed hope, although I'm excited about Miller. It's the defensive staff hirings. USC was going to have competent quarterback play next year, regardless of whether it's Miller Moss. They're going to have competent quarterback play the next year, the year after that, and the year after that. The question is whether they'll ever be able to stop anybody. That's why I feel hope for 2024, not Miller Moss. Uh, I think there'll be an increase depending on what each person sees as a motivation to do so. I like the idea that I think there will be Big Ten fans that will – Gobble up tickets to make sure they can get in to see their team. Question nine, yes or no, there will be a big-time transfer that will come to Troy before the end of January. Mark? I'm uh, I'm feeling that one in my gut. I'm going to say yes. Eric? No, but if you said May, I'd say yes. Not February, March or April. It's got to be May. Transfer the set, yeah, the second – that that spring that spring window I think is is maybe when stuff gets done. Chris, I have no inside information on this, but I'm going to say yes just because I want it to happen. <laughs> me too. That's, that's what my gut's telling me. <laughs> um, I think there will be. I just don't know if it's going to happen at the end of January because we're going to be leading into the second signing period. But that may be irrelevant. All right, question ten. The bonus question, what is your panel 2024 New Year's resolution? Mark? I don't make resolutions. I don't keep them, so I don't make them. There you go. Eric? Mine's the same as as what every USC fan's resolution should be. That's play better defense. You weren't pleased with your defensive performance this past year, Eric? I, I don't, think, I don't think, think any of us should be, right? Yeah, we we got to get something done there. I liked what I did. Um, my New Year's resolution is to be nicer to Oklahoma fans, and I suspect that I'll break that one. You are, right? It's done. Oh, did I already <laughs> fail on that? It's done, yeah. Chris, okay. the show. But you made Oregon fans happy, uh, Chris, because you didn't include them in your Oklahoma dislike. That's true, but I, I I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna make a resolution to be nicer to them. They don't deserve that. 
All right, my my resolution is to continue to tell it like it is, whether it upsets people or not. It's just my opinion, especially on USC football. Um, I think we all have to realize that some opinions are good, some turn out to be not so good. But being transparent with who you are and how you feel, I think, is the strength of our website in particular. I put us up against anybody's website uh, to not dance around questions and worry about you know, what is SC going to think? Uh, I This I do know. Uh, I think we'd all want them to win. We definitely want them to win. And uh, so with that, what a perfect transition to head into the fourth quarter with the lighting of the traditional We Are SC symbolic torch, as we do in the Coliseum for home games, a tribute uh, when we do see the Coliseum torch and I, and Big Ten fans should be getting excited with the idea now that you're going to be coming to the Coliseum. You can watch this traditional ceremony to SC home games. And while the torch burns, a reminder to all of you recruitaholics, don't forget to watch WeRSC.com's weekly recruiting video show, Recruiting Roundup, with nationally respected Scott Trader, the best in the business, and host uh, Dylan Brazier. And a reminder to watch uh, Friday's Four Down show with moderator Eric McKenney along with myself, sponsored by Prize Picks. So, let's get into the fourth quarter. It's time to, to uh, join hands with our viewers and answer some of the questions that you have had. And, and a big thank you. We had a lot of questions coming in. If we don't get in-depth in your particular question, because we've already answered it, I want to give you credit for, for uh, writing us. So, let's start off with question one from Intonation in Outside of Sacramento. Hi, panel. Did Miller Moss just put on a clinic of Lincoln Riley's offense? And isn't six touchdowns a little too significant to call it a fluke? If we can add a little run blocking, are we okay for the Big Ten? All right, there is no particular order. Just jump in. What do you think? What jumped out to me about this, the communication between Lincoln and and Miller seemed to be flawless, right? I mean, you, you didn't have a lot of that three, two, one rushing snaps, guys moving around, not really knowing uh, what was going on. You you had a bunch of time to get ready for it, but that that's really what jumped out to me. Yeah, you know, making the throws and giving receivers a chance and doing all that stuff, but R- Riley had to see how seamless that communication was and, and how well the offense seem to work again you want to talk about the running game and run blocking and all of that there are clear problems there but as far as your communication with your quarterback which is one of the biggest things that that you can potentially struggle with as an offense that that checked all the boxes at least for me watching it and that had to be that had to be a big deal for Lincoln seeing that in a game atmosphere and and it working that well you know who else saw that, Eric? Malachi Nelson. He saw that all year during practice, evidently, because he didn't even want to. He didn't even want to wait around. He didn't want to take the chance to play in the Holiday Bowl. He got out of town. So, is it significant? I think it is. Um, you know, Chris said it in the last segment. USC is going to have good quarterback play as long as Lincoln Riley is the head coach. So, if Lincoln Riley's system can fit Miller Moss, yeah, that that. That's a good thing. You don't need to have the, you know, generational type of talent like a Caleb Williams to win. 
run the offense. Put the ball in the quarterback's hands. Chris, I know where you're going with this, but you can win with a Miller Moss playing quarterback when you surround him with ideal talent on the outside. Now, imagine if you give him a running game to do some play action where everything doesn't have to be short throws to open up the big play down the field, because that's what they relied on in this game. Add a running game, get that offensive line to be as aggressive run blocking with how well they did pass protection. I think it's, I think that was significant what we saw. I know I'm going to set Greg off with this comment, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let's stop overrating the big 10. There's some, there are, there are a few good teams in the big 10 and that's it. Most of the big 10 is absolute dog meat. In fact, even some of the big time names, right? Nebraska and Wisconsin, those aren't very good football programs right now. Iowa's supposed to have an amazing defense. Not when they played a team that's halfway decent offensive. They just got rolled. The Big Ten isn't very good. Michigan's good. Ohio State is good, or at least they were until they played a quarterback that had no experience. Penn State is good defensively. But for the most part, the Big Ten's not very good. So USC's fine in the Big Ten. USC needs to get its act together and play better defense. They need to continue to build the offensive line. USC's fine in the Big Ten. All right, I'll respond to that. I don't think SC is playing, uh, when I look at the Big Ten, they're not really competing against the lower echelon of the Big Ten. We're talking about Ohio State. We're talking about Michigan. Uh, Penn State obviously was not very good on offense. I think we can all agree on that, and that's 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 a problem. But then you're going to add Oregon, which is which is rolling, and and you can't say well they weren't in the Big Ten, but guess what they're in the Big Ten now, uh, and you know I don't know if Washington can duplicate what they're doing, uh, you know following the year of Penix because Penix has been unreal uh, this season and deserves all the accolades he can get, but I, I strictly look at the idea of SC winning the Big Ten or getting the Big Ten championship. Or I don't know how many teams from the Big Ten are going to be added on to the 12-team playoff as an at-large team. Uh, but I, I think it's pretty focused on the upper echelon teams. And we'll see. Maybe they'll get better. Maybe they'll get worse. I know what SC has to do to get better. Uh, so about with, where, though, with where the Pac-12 is going right now, if it, let's say the Pac-12 continued on as a conference, the winning the Big Ten – it is not harder than winning the Pac-12 if the Pac-12 had continued on with the teams here. So I don't see it as a as a massive jump. And oh my gosh, now we have to play, you know, the the Steelers and the Ravens every week. Like you're, you're going to get good teams, but you're gonna you are going to get good teams regardless. The middle of the Big Ten, which is where USC has you know stubbed its toe, losing to an, an Oregon State or a whatever. Those teams are not better than what than what USC has played. So I don't think the week in week out is all of a sudden this this daunting task that USC can't rise to. Yeah, Michigan is Michigan is good. Some of these teams are good, but that's you know that's what you're going to get in in any of these big conferences. And don't forget that the question is USC ready to deal with a Big Ten that has all of these uh, good teams coming into it, you can ask that question of Ohio State. Ohio State plays two games a year. 
They play two games a year. Now Ohio State is sometimes going to have to visit the Coliseum and Austin. They're going to have to go to Seattle, right? That dramatically changes things for Ohio State Buckeyes because it used to be they have to beat Penn State, and if Penn State has no offense like this year, they probably will. And then they have to beat Michigan, and they didn't, but they still won They still won 11 games. They they also have to look at it and say, our life just got a lot more difficult than it's been before. That's true of Michigan, too. Michigan played it. That's a good football team. I'm not taking anything away from them. They played an unbelievably soft schedule. Fine. Play Washington, Oregon, and USC. Add that to your schedule, and let's see if you're still in the playoff. I don't know that you are. I mean, that's a Mich- – Well, wait a minute. Michigan well, play who is the best team. quarterback in 2024 in the Big Ten Conference right now? Who would you say is the best quarterback in the 2024 season in the Big Ten? I mean, McCarthy, right? But maybe maybe the Ohio State kid that left. Return Is McCarthy coming back next year? Oh, talking about next year. Yeah. yeah. This is where USC might have the advantage right now. You know, USC, I mean, Michigan Oregon, next year. Michigan's got Texas, Washington, Oregon, and, and USC next year. That's a tougher schedule than what they had this year. And three of those are the, are the new Pac-12 schools. All right, let's move to question two. We're going to leave the state of California from USC alum in Utah. Hi, panel. It was a sample size, but do you think the offense will be better uh, without Caleb? Miller, despite being less talented and athletic, was getting the ball out on time, sticking to the play. Example, less hero ball. And the offense looked at its best the best it has had against a defense of that caliber in a while. What do you think? I think they're going to be more efficient. And I think it's for the reasons that Chris alluded to earlier in the show, too. Yeah, I don't think they're going to wait around and look to see what Caleb is going to do. I think they're going to be more of a team-oriented, that I have to do my thing because Miller may not bail us out. And instead of being uh, spectators, they're going to be participants. And I think that's a good thing. USC will be better offensively because I think I think the offensive line is going to improve. I think the four freshman wide receivers with another year of experience, I think that I think that's an unbelievable group. And as much as I love Taj and Rice made a lot of good plays, those four guys are special. And at the top end of that, the top three guys have have skill sets that you don't see very often. But But let's be careful with the Caleb Williams thing. Let's not forget just how many times Caleb Williams caused a 60-yard touchdown to come out of absolute grease fire, right? Guys coming at him untouched. He makes them all miss. He runs around. Then he throws off his back foot 50 yards downfield perfectly and hits a guy perfectly in stride. Miller Moss isn't going to do that. And, and so I do think Miller Moss is going to play within the system. I think he'll play well. I'm excited to see what he does. But let's not kid ourselves. Caleb Williams did some things that nobody else, that probably nobody else who ever plays quarterback at USC will be able to do. And some of those things made huge differences in some big games. We don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to forget that. You're also going to start getting film on Miller, right, if he's, if he's the guy and it's going to be – you're going to need to make adjustments and do all that. So the idea that it's just going to be this every single game, I think that's that's leaping pretty far too. But, I, I mean, I talked about it. The the kind of seamless move of play coming in, play get run, 
And I think him giving receivers a chance to make catches, right? He, he tosses that ball up to Jacoby Lane where he has to kind of fight through and, and catch a ball. Then he goes up and gets one. The, uh, this, a couple slants to Kyron Hudson, like letting your guys make a chance. It did feel at times this year, like Caleb wanted the, I, I can find the wide open guy because if I scramble around, I find the wide open guy. Like he had so much success doing that, that it was instead of a, a 50 50 or trying to hit a tight window, if I pull this down, I can find a better throw. And Miller just seemed to go with what was there. So. In that game, yeah, that offense worked as well as we'd seen it work since that first half of the Stanford game. Although uh, they did, they, he did put Caleb put up a ton of points and a ton of yards while people were complaining about how he was running the offense. That's why I said they'll, they'll be more efficient. I, I, I chose that word specifically because of the big play capability of Caleb. It, he, he was a wow factor, but USC fans don't. I don't think anybody wants to wait around and what, you know, for Caleb Williams to say, all right, got to put on my magic feet right now. USC is so much better when they don't have to do that, when you don't have to rely on a Caleb Williams. Play quarterback. And Miller Moss can, he can play quarterback. Uh, Alumni Utah, uh, Utah also asked this question, this follow up. If the 14 playoff was implemented at the start of the Pete Carroll era, how many national championships would we win? I think easily 2008 and probably 2002 and 2006. That's what alum in uh, Utah uh, comments. 2008, yes. Definitely. 2008 was Pete Carroll's best team. It may have been it may have been the best USC team since 1972. They played one bad half of football in Corvallis that was inexplicable. Other than that, that team was unbelievable defensively the best the best USC team that I ever watched uh and more than enough talent on offense 20 you know 2002 USC was very good at the end of the year but the Miami and Ohio State teams were awfully good that's not that's not an obvious national championship to me 2006 no no 2002 I'm putting them in that conversation just because, there and again and again it Ohio State and Miami; those those rosters were loaded. Don't get me wrong; that was those were NFL rosters. But I think it was Kirk Herbstreit who said it at the end of that Ohio State Miami game. Neither one of these teams want to play USC right now, and that was how good they were at the end of two thousand two. That seven team, I think, is is maybe in there also. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the Stanford year, but without the injury and and with you know Booty back at full health. At the end of the year, they I mean, they rolled a Illinois team that people thought were pretty good. Yeah, you don't want to get a bet against Pete Carroll when he has time when he has time to get his team ready for a game. I mean, he was in that that really small category of really great coaches who can make adjustments. He was Nick Saban. He's why everybody likes Nick Saban. They make the right adjustments at halftime and they they just, they just win. And Pete and Pete knew how to he knew how to get his players ready to play fast and loose. Yeah. That was one of his great skills. Sometimes they'd play a little bit too loose uh, when they shouldn't have. But but uh, you you know you watch him go out against OU and and Stoops and that OU team looked tight and Pete's just laughing and throwing the football around and USC just goes out and plays fast like they don't have a care in the world. That was one of his great strengths. 
All right, let's take a trip down to the southeast part of the country. This is from USC Fan in Florida. Always look forward to your comments. Panel, two questions. One, the SC secondary seems to actually tackle in the Holiday Bowl and allowed a few yards after the catch. Is this direct evidence that the previous defensive staff ignored tackling drills during all or most of the practices? Uh, let's take that question first. How do you feel about it? No, they tackled as much as the NCAA will allow tackling. Uh, we Look, I've got film documentation of these guys going through fundamental drills, tack- tackling drills, live tackling drills. You can go back to the spring, go back to fall camp. They were doing it. For whatever reason, it didn't translate during the season. But that six weeks from the end of the UCLA game to the Holiday Bowl, if Taylor Mays was you know, put in charge of tackling, you have to keep him on the staff because that was a significant difference. Whether Guys, was- don't, don't forget, I, I said this, but I, I, want you, I want you to think about this. An open field tackle is extraordinarily difficult. And if you're not in, if you're not in a good position, if you are, if you are a linebacker that's not filling, that's not filling the hole quickly enough, such that the running back has a lot of room to make a cut. Mm-hmm. If if you're a defensive back that's out of position, by the time the receiver catches it, you're six yards off of him in the open field, you're gonna miss a ton of tackles. The best thing to do if you want your team to tackle better is to put them in positions where the tackles are easier. And, 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 and let's also keep in mind that it's entirely possible that Oregon and Washington and some of these other teams that USC played had better athletes with the ball in their hands. It's also easier to tackle guys like me than t- guys like Zachariah Branch. So let's not, let's not go crazy. They did play better defensively. They, they seemed to know where they were supposed to be. But really, the, the, the defense tackled poorly in part because of bad fundamentals, but also in part because they were out of position too much. And if you're out of position against an elite athlete in, in space, you're going to miss the tackle more times than not. All I know is, is Prophet Brown was targeted five times, and they completed three passes against him for a total of 10 yards. Yeah. So he was in the right position. But more importantly, when he was there, he was fundamentally sound. If he was like playing some... against Washington, he would not have had those stats. Let's not kid ourselves. The Washington receivers would have eaten him up. They eat everybody up. So he did a nice job. But but part of this is that Louisville didn't put the same athletes on the field that Washington and Oregon and some of the other teams did. They were playing without their number one receiver, without their number one running back. What stuck out for me was just the confidence that the defense played with. You could – all season, it just felt like, should I be here? Should I not be here? Am I supposed to be on that guy? Am I supposed to be doing this? And then you're lost, right? The the split second that you have to think about where should I be, they're by you or you you don't have that angle like Chris was talking about. They just, that confidence. And then, like we said, it's different guys making tackles. We didn't, we didn't see a lot of profit. We didn't see a lot of Anthony Beavers being asked to do those things. Some some guys are better tacklers than other guys. Some guys have that kind of come forward, you know, instinct to be able to do that. That I think is is what stuck out to me more than like let's let's start tackling now that we're that we're in bullcrap. I also think you look at that schedule. There was no break. 
This team had no break, and you could feel them kind of just getting run down toward the end of the year because of that. I think that's not a ton of it, but certainly a a little bit of it. All right, second question here. Um, Many on the team seem to say that Miller was the leader of the team. With the energy behind Moss with the team, how cautious does Lincoln Riley need to be with his selection of a quarterback so he does not lose the energy in the locker room Moving forward, I will say this. Uh, I think it would be an extremely bad idea if if uh, Miller Moss is not the starting quarterback, at least to start the first game. And then let's see where it goes from there, because obviously this team rallies around him. They like him. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, when they talk about culture, this is certainly part of it. How do the rest of you feel about it? It's You got to tap dance. It's a, it's a high wire act. I mean, look. You could have the the perfect roster and you're still going to have personality clashes. Um, what you're looking for is a locker room. And, and we keep using Michigan, but right now you want to use Michigan's locker room as an example. Their head coach was suspended for the first three games of the season. He got suspended later in the season. All the team did was win. They found a way to win. You could say the same thing about Washington with Kalen DeBoer. It, it's, it's about having the right mix of players in that locker room. If you're going to bring in a quarterback, you need to make sure it. And Lincoln Riley talks about it. It, it, it you got to go through the vetting process. But right now, yeah, this is a really specific area right, where there was kind of a, a line in the sand in that locker room. I don't think anybody really wants to talk about it. There was coaches' favorites. You had the the NIL players, and then you had everybody else. I, I think right now USC is kind of finding their identity finding that locker room culture. So if you do bring in a quarterback, um, unless it's another Caleb Williams, I don't think you want to, I don't think you want to rock that boat too much at this point. All right. Question four, let's move out to the Southwest part of the country Uh, from Blade Runner in Tejas. I assume that's Texas. The defense exhibited energy and intensity in the holiday bowl. Was team morale affected by the coach's favoritism, despite the limited time to fix the offensive line, the inconsistent running game is a concern for the Big Ten. Thoughts on that? Uh, yes and yes. Is that am I? Yeah. Okay. Too right. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, I offered. I think so. Answer. I offered my piece in the last answer. Yes, you did. I mean, the second part, yeah, you got to you you better be able to run the ball. You better be able to run the ball. There were there were too many plays in that game where you know, it's GT counter, it's something where you you got to be able to do it in Riley's offense and you're getting linemen hit sideways and and just blown up on these run plays. Th- those need to be I mean, th- those need to be automatic. That that needs to be 5 yards on that play. You cannot get blown up because you know, we talked about the Big 10 not being the NFL, but there, there's enough in there. And it's just like the Pac-12. I mean, if, if you can't run in the Pac-12, it's it's difficult too. Like Washington did not put up big running numbers, but when they needed to, they could get yards there. USC's got to be able to do that. And I mean, the team morale thing, clearly there was something in that holiday bowl with that many guys out where they were able to rally and and put it together here. Uh, and, and I think that 
the comment from Lincoln Riley afterward, it, yeah, it was specifically about Miller Moss, but and and it's what Mark's been getting at this whole time, where he talked, he did talk about, you know, I've learned in a couple of years here the importance of guys getting it and being bought in, and and that you can't just change names in and out and and make it feel like a cohesive group, and and that team in the holiday bowl definitely felt more like that like what what you want the feeling to be from a team that jacoby covington and you know when they were when the team was coming off the field after you know the 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 fumble recovery we a team now that spoke volumes and it it spoke volumes in a positive way not because of you know the, the narrative that everybody's trying to spin out there that there was some negative energy with the team and there was but i think it was more to the effect of you know, and Lincoln Riley said it. The defense picked up the offense. The offense picked up the defense. The special teams made plays. Everybody that played felt involved. And I don't know if that was the case during the 2023 regular season. All right, question five from Big Daddy. Hi, everybody. After only one start, I'm wondering who the panel would compare Miller Moss and the offense to. Am I off base in thinking Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan's? Brock? Brock Purdy started 48 games in college. Some of those he played great. Some of those he didn't play very well. I like what we saw from Miller Moss. Let's see what he can do over the course of a few games before we before we start talking about him being an NFL starter. And it's not a shot at Big Daddy. I'm just saying we, we have too many people that are assuming that because we had one good performance from a from a backup quarterback – there are plenty of quarterbacks who come in and play well one time and don't turn out to be great quarterbacks. So I don't think Miller Moss is that. He was a he was a high level recruit. I think I think Riley trusted him, uh, which is why he was uh, still in front of Malachi Nelson, who was a big time recruit. But it's one game, man. Just one game. Totally agree. Uh, question six from Trojan fan in the Valley. Happy New Year, panel, and happy New Year to you, a Trojan fan in the Valley. I didn't see the new defensive coaches at the Holiday Bowl, and during the coverage, the announcers didn't mention them much, if at all. Were they there? Any? If not, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, to my knowledge, they weren't there, and I have no problem if they weren't there. Let 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 this coaching staff finish it out, which they did in fine fashion. Comments? That was every that was every comment from everybody. They're not going to have anything to do with bowl prep. They're not going to be a part of the on field anything. They could go to practices. They could watch what was going on. They they were they were recruiting. That was their that that's what they kind of were brought in to do. I'm sure there was some evaluation of players and and that kind of thing. Uh, but no, it, it was clear from early on these guys are are not not coaching this game or being involved in this yet. Okay. A few questions left here uh, from Barack USC alum in Australia. Okay. Down under holiday bowl was doc was what the doctor ordered. It was a fun game. I was pleasantly surprised with the secondary. They were talking. Well, Taylor Mays was always a very hitting safety himself. He seems to be able to do a phenomenal job in six weeks. Will Lynn have room for Mays? That's one of two questions. Would panel Willie, or did we already touch on that? Riley hired two secondary coaches already. And and by the way, they may 
the, the two secondary coaches he hired have a lot more coaching experience than Taylor Mays. I mean, there's something, there's something to be said for Mays uh, earning his stripes and, and building and building his skills and knowledge as a coach. He may turn out to be a fantastic coach, but I don't expect that he would be a better secondary coach right now than Leonard Belk. I just don't. He doesn't have the level of experience that those guys have. You find a place for him on the, on the coaching staff somehow. You keep him around. Yeah, the second part of uh, the question was, Doug Belk is our new defensive backs coach, comes in with a great resume. What do you expect from Doug Belk in secondary? Happy New Year, everyone, and a great time to be a Trojan. Improvement. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I anticipate in 2024. Improvement. Well, that would be a big help. It's going to keep it simple my answer on that one. All right, question from HUD in San, San Diego. Happy New Year, guys. What advantage do you think there would be if the team, if this team, this coming season, Riley opened up practices to the media? He's just trying to trigger you, Greg. Go ahead. I'll just say it would be a good thing and leave it at that. I'd love it. All right, question nine from You Gotta Love It, SC in Virginia. All right, back to the Atlantic coast there. Panel, do the bowl losses of two high-visibility teams in the Big Ten, number seven, Ohio State, to number nine, Missouri, in a low-scoring event at number 10, Penn State, to number 11, Ole Miss, give you a more optimistic feeling towards USC success in the Big Ten next season, or does it mean nothing as there were gaps with some key players not playing and you really can't judge next season's teams on what we see in the bowl games fight on? I can't wait to see the team beat up on Maryland out here. Okay, did we kind of touch on this? Yeah. Uh, I think so. I have a question. Who's got the best quarterback in 2024 in the Big Ten Conference? Listeners, viewers, give us some feedback. Let us know. All right. There you go. It's The gauntlet has been cast out. Uh, since we kind of covered that before, question 10 from Tim's SC page. Seems like SC usually has six to seven false starts a game, but under Miller time, I recall seeing none. If true, can you think of a reason? I don't think USC has six to seven false six, starts. Six to seven would be, you'd, you'd hear more about that, yeah. That does not happen. They have they have a few per game. And the reason why, and I think it was either Chris or Eric talked about it at the beginning of the show, or maybe it was Greg. When your offensive line doesn't have to sit in that stance for 10, 15 seconds at a time, maybe even longer, um, yeah, it's going to make a difference. It makes a significant difference. Get up to the line, call the play, snap the ball. Uh, question 11 from Romy in Huntington Beach, California. Panel, do you feel that the renewed faith and excitement in this team's win will continue throughout the, the next seven months, or should we temper our exuberance into a wait-and-see mode? I think there should be, this is me speaking, I think there should be hope. I think there should be excitement. Looking forward to the Big Ten, but look, you're going to start off with LSU. You're going to see a lot of questions answered or created after that game. But no, in the off season here, it should be really kind of the drumbeat of excitement on many levels, in my opinion. My experience has been that my personal attitude towards the upcoming season seems to have very little role in our wins and losses. <laughs> so I think you can do whatever you want, Romy. If you want to be pumped up, be pumped up. If you want to wait and see, wait and see. 
I don't think that's going to change what happens in Las Vegas against LSU either way. I think that Vegas, it's it's going to go off the charts. USC fans are going to lose their mind. They've been waiting to play LSU since 2003. This is like that. We're going to show them finally we can beat you. Yeah, and 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 their fans are going to be a little pumped too. I suspect this is this is one long time in the making. I think I, you can have excitement about the win going forward. I think that how that fluctuates over the next few months is what USC does. I think specifically along the defensive line in the transfer portal with additions. I think that I think that says. That helps set expectations when you're talking about summer and and into fall. All right, uh, and let's uh, finish it up with a question from Bobby. Tee it up in Rancho Mirage. Hi, panel. How did the defense learn to tackle in six weeks when they couldn't tackle for four months? Are we doing this again? I mean, obviously that was big, right? And big and noticeable and everybody took that into account. I think that we hit on a lot of those things. And yeah, and I think did. it was, I think it was a lot. I, the idea that Alex Grinch sat there and didn't tackle and didn't have anyone doing anything like that's not, I, I don't know if people want to hear that. It's not what happened. I, I think that a lot of stuff went into that, but Everybody's right. I mean, people are right to be impressed with what those players did against the Louisville players in that game. It was noticeably different than a lot of what we saw. Maybe, I don't know, first half against Nevada. Like, I, we're going back to, I think, that. Notre Dame, they they tackled fairly well, I think, in that game. So there, there were bits and pieces throughout the year. It's not like you didn't see it at all. But certainly against against the better offenses, which is over half the Pac-12. It wasn't there. Did it really come down to just lining up and not shifting right before the ball was snapped to to have everybody's eyes in the right place? I mean, I mean, was it really that simple. You because really could tell d- defensively this year. You really could tell in a lot of games that there was just there was just so much confusion after plays when you have four guys kind of pointing and I was here, you were there. What what's going on? That that's enough to know. That even when it works, there's still that sort of baked in of we we don't have this whole thing locked in. And, and whenever you, whenever the ball's getting snapped and you've got multiple players with their heads turned around looking at someone behind them, that guy's probably not making that tackle or going to be late somewhere. And and there was just there was just too much of that all year. Yeah, one of the things Pete always talked about was the importance of being able to play fast. You have to know what you're doing to play fast. USC never played fast under Alex Grinch because they never had any idea what they were supposed to be doing. Okay, a reminder again, if you have a question or comments for our panel, and we really appreciate seeing everyone from around the country. It's always great to see Trojan fans uh, from one coast to the other. Uh, Go to the WeRSC members message board. Click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Huddle, viewer or listener questions, and we'll try to get to everybody as, as much as we can. We enjoy talking with you and getting your questions. All right, here we go. Let's wrap this thing up with the overtime. What else could you talk about but the college football championship game predictions? Panel in Monday's New Year's Day uh, college football playoffs, national semifinal games, 
In the Rose Bowl, number one, Michigan beat number four, Alabama, 27-20 in overtime. And in the Sugar Bowl, number two, Washington defeated number three, Texas, 37-31. This upcoming Monday, that's this Monday in Houston, Texas, in NRG Stadium, number one, Michigan, 14-0. And number two, Washington, 14-0. Two teams that will be in the same Big Ten Conference in 2024 and will be playing each other in a Regular season game in 2024 will meet in the college football playoff national championship game, which will kick off at 4.30 p.m. Pacific and televised on ESPN. Michigan has opened up a four and a half point favorite over Washington. Your predictions, who wins it all, Chris Arledge? I'm going to stop downing Washington every week. I've been doing it most of the time. Uh, look, the, the, that receiving core is really good. Michael Penix is really good, and that offensive line protects really, really well. Washington's going to score points against Michigan, as good as Michigan is defensively. Uh, I think Michigan will also have some success offensively. I think they'll be able to run the ball. They'll be able to uh, drain the clock. I think it's going to be a good game. But Washington has found a way to win most of the time, and – If Michigan gets behind, I don't think they can come back. If Washington gets behind, I think they could. Uh, So I'm going to give a slight edge to the Huskies. Mark? Yeah, I'm right there. Uh, Like I've been saying, this Washington team, they just find a way to win. Even, you know, even when they try and find a way to lose that game against uh, Texas, they were still able to put on their big boy pants and play defense down the stretch uh, to, to seal that victory. So at this point, like Chris said, you got to stop doubting them. They every time they've had their backs up against the wall, they have found a way to pull out a victory. They did it in L.A. They did it against Oregon twice. They just did it against a really good defense uh, versus Texas, and they're getting the opportunity to play uh, for the national championship. They're in the playoffs for the second time. USC still trying to get there for the first time. Um, I, I'm picking them over Michigan solely for the fact that if Michigan decides they're going to come after Michael Penix and blitz him all day long like they tried to do with um, Jalen Miller at uh, at Alabama, Michael Penix will burn you. And that might be the difference, even without the running game. Eric? So I think two things potentially go against Washington. If if the Dylan Johnson injury is bad enough to keep him out, I think, again, Washington doesn't run the ball a ton. He's really good and effective uh, when he can. I also think there's a pretty good chance this is a, this is a Michigan home game, even though it's down in Texas. That team, the, those fans travel unbelievably and, and are loud. That The statement that they made in the Rose Bowl there w- was impressive. Washington wins games. They win games. And if your counter is we have a really good defensive front and we get after the quarterback, it does not matter against Washington. You cannot sack Michael Penix. That offensive line for Washington, they won the Joe Moore Award this year as the best offensive line. If you look at each individual guy, you don't say about any of them, holy cow, he's the best guy at that spot. These guys are just elite athletes. And yet... You cannot get to Michael Penix no matter what you do. So if Michigan, again, if they think we're going to rack up sacks against Washington, that would be an absolute shock in this one. And Washington's coaching staff is 
is really, really good. There, there were some decisions. I think of, you know, the, the injury against Dylan Johnson went against them and it seemed to kind of throw a lot of stuff off late in that game. But Cam DeBoer knows what he's doing. Ryan Grubb is, is really good defensively. They are good enough when it matters, uh, that, that I think Washington gets it done. And Michigan is, Michigan is a really, really good team. Uh, so they may end up making us look dumb, but, but I, I think Washington gets it done. All right. I'm picking the Wolverines. I think they're on a mission. I think they'll provide a pass rush that Washington hasn't seen before. I think the corners are good. And I think Michigan can control the, the, the uh, narrative of the game because they're very balanced. I'm very concerned for Washington losing their running back. Uh, it'll make a difference. So we got three of us say it's going to be the Huskies. One of us, the center, says it's going to be the Wolverines. It should be a great game. All right, once again, if you've enjoyed Inside the Trojans Huddle, please click on the like and red subscriber buttons. We greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out wrse.com, become a premium subscriber. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Reminder to watch four downs on Friday for the latest on USC and college football presented by Prize Picks. So until next Tuesday, a big thank you again to the best of the best. Our panelists, Mark Culkin, Eric McKenney, Chris Arledge, and a special thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojan Subtle. Have a great week and weekend. So until next Tuesday, on behalf of our Inside the Trojan Subtle panel, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, wishing you all again a very happy new year. And fight on, everybody.